Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And today you're going to hear a very inspiring story and fascinating, inspiring business called Oracle and Sage with today's guest. Her name is Gino Parker. And Gino is based in London and she and her co-founder, um, they created this beautiful healing collective called Oracle and Sage. And when I first read about it, I was very curious, um, hadn't heard of another healing collective set up in this way. But again, I think that their story, uh, why they started the business and how it is structured will really, really inspire a lot of you. But also, again, Gino's story alone is absolutely beautiful. So if you want to learn more about Gino and her work, you can go to oracleandsage.org or you can follow them on Instagram at Oracle and Sage. I also wanted to let you know, just as a reminder, if you want to meet with me live and have some conversation around the podcasts or just around your Reiki journey, you can join me for the Reiki Radio Roundtables on Tuesdays, and you can get access by downloading the Energetic Alchemist app, which is now available through the Apple App Store and also through Google Play for Androids. So I'm really excited about that. I also want to remind you as well, if you want more information about the Alchemy Circle, you can get drop-in classes through the app, or you can learn more about membership on theenergeticalchemist.com. I thank you so much for being here, and I will see you on the other side of this conversation. Okay, everyone, welcome to Reiki Radio. Today, we're here with the beautiful Gino Parker of Oracle and Sage. So I just want to say, firstly, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. Thank you. Yeah, no, and it's really appreciated that you even have the platform that you have and that you connect women with women and other sort of um, like-minded people in this way. It's really, it's really a blessing. So thank you. Yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, when you think of it, that now in this day and age, like you're in UK and I'm in San Diego yep. and we can still, yeah, there's like no boundary through our connections now. It's Absolutely. really cool. So you have this amazing um, collective that you co-founded called Oracle and Sage, which we're going to get into because I can't wait to hear more about this. Um, it sounds just absolutely fascinating, the reason that you created it and what it is that you provide. But I wanted to start with you first and learn a little more about your story. Um, could you tell us a bit about what your path has been and what it is that you even practice? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my like story story really like most of us kind of really goes back into like my early childhood. And I was born in um, in, in Iraq um, as a young child. And then our par my parents, there was a war and my parents literally fled as refugees. And then when we settled in the UK, um, I grew up with this sense of like home and never feeling like settled in the UK but like this sense of like this otherness but it was lost in the journey essentially and I guess what what really kept me at home was the community I built around me in the place in West London that I was raised 
and that sense of community was built up of like all different women and friends and and people from various different backgrounds I had friends who were like of like sort of UK British heritage I had friends of Caribbean heritage and then I noticed that growing up I was held in lots of different ways by different communities and it was like women coming together and us just sort of being a community in West London of like all these different backgrounds and actually it being something that in the 80s when I grew up and this is really showing my age now <laughs> our differences were really celebrated and they were really like how we connected and I watched as I got older that sort of fray and then this sense of like otherness kind of creeping in Right. And so you always feel a little displaced. And for me, the sense of community is one that you create and you build and you have to work on. It's not one that you're just entitled to, especially when you think about the fact that I had lost touch with my inherent community because right. I was displaced. So I always found myself building up these patterns of community, whether that was people, whether that was spaces. And then I took it to my work. And I became a what, what we call in the UK a youth and community development worker. And I looked at what that translated. I did a master's in applied anthropology and I looked at how communities can really support and sustain each other through change and through struggle and through positive things when they work collaboratively together. Yeah. And in the UK, I think in, in the States, I think you call it the non-for-profit sector. And in the UK, we call it the charity sector. And I did a lot of work in the charity sector looking at like youth voice and community voice and how communities come together and to co-design and co-create and build together. And I noticed that in our in the UK, especially the picture for us is that much of that is determined by governance that actually doesn't support the way that women come together sometimes and the mm -hmm. way that and what women's healing looks like from the point of view of the woman and not the point of view of the of the capitalist ideology of what that that looks like whether that's right. therapy whatever it was taking a very individualistic approach to what the answers were for some community groups like women particularly and predominantly women of color as well and i just noticed this like real loss of translation of what that looked like for women through my work and an example is for example is uh, for example when at one point when I was managing services for young girls that were impacted by violence a lot of the time they get this their name on a waiting list to be able to go and get the therapy that they need they've been impacted by violence sometimes sexual violence and actually that waiting list of being put on that therapy being put on that has been decided by somebody and it's not actually been co-designed or co-created from her point of view right. and actually she doesn't need a therapist it's far too early for her to have a therapist what she might need is art therapy or massage therapy or energy work but no one's going to pay and prescribe that that's not how our systems are designed and what I found was that there were lots of women who were in those services who had spent years learning their craft, who would gift their time and their service to young girls or other women. And then in some sense, they're being exploited because they're not being paid. So they, there's a value to it. We understand the value to it, but we're not paying them because they're doing good work so their work should be free because they should be giving back because it's good good decent people that's what good decent people do and I just think that that always struck with me for many years about how do I fill that gap 
how do I get women paid for the work that they're doing in order to heal and work and support other communities of women when they need it most? And how do I get that young girl or those women who have been impacted by trauma or violence or whatever their journey or their story is, the support they need without the restrictions of what the charity guidelines say is the journey of a woman or what the trauma response, what a clinical res response of a trauma response should look like from a clinical perspective that doesn't take into a, a female's identity of heritage, of, of, of even her own story of what her her femininity means to her that's not from a eurocentric lens so i guess all of that sort of coming together led me to sort of get to a point where i was like no enough like if nobody else is going to do this then i'm <laughs> gonna have to do something up you know it, i kept yeah. waiting being like oh let me get behind the right movement and then i realized that no one no one's doing it so at some point you have to say to yourself okay well how do we do this then well, Gina, are you kidding me? Like, this is amazing. This is a, like one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard, quite frankly. And, you know, I want to back up a bit because it's interesting what you have now evolved into. But so much of it, I'm, I'm curious of, you know, thinking about how your story began, right? And you said something about, um, you know, this inherent need even to build community, to find community, and you said it's not something we're entitled to, but you made the effort of creating um, the sense of family and the sense of home. And when you said that, I mean, it really struck me, our idea of even those titles, right? So like, mm -hmm. what does home mean? What does family mean? And I think a lot of times we um, can limit ourselves into mm -hmm. the traditional ideas of this. And if our experience doesn't match the picture perfect, mm -hmm idea then we may just feel sorry for ourselves and not even recognize Absolutely. that we can reach yes. out so it's it's amazing that you even at a young age went through a circumstance that would highlight and then how it again has developed so beautifully into what your focus is now so I, I want to ask you about that first I mean just this idea and with your own life story what was that like I mean did you was it just going off of feeling or did you have an idea of family and home and what that meant to you? Like what elements were you looking for even in your connections to have that sense of community? I think, I think for me, there was this home that I was raised in with like, you know, up until the age of 11 when my father lived with us. There was like mum and dad at home and there was cultural tra traditions and values that I was hearing that were very important at home. Mm -hmm. And they didn't match with the ones that I would have with my friendship group in school who were, were who were girls of all different backgrounds and all different heritages and all different traditions. And everybody had their own story of why their tradition or their culture was right. Mm -hmm. And I've just always been really curious. And I do remember questioning a lot about you know, my mum and dad, and, and especially my dad, because he had quite sort of strict ways of thinking about identity. And I'd often say, well, if you wanted to raise me that way, you should have kept me in Iraq. Like, if you wanted to raise me in that way, then why why am I here? Because here there is a different expression of what identity means. And it's not right or wrong. It's about I've got different rules now in which I can engage with. And you're saying that I can't engage with those rules around identity and adolescence. 
but and you want me to engage with the rules of another culture which is feels like another place but you've taken me from that well or, essentially he didn't take me from that place the war took us out of that place right. but now why am I having to answer to that and I remember being a very determined sort of young young child and being very much like no I'm here and what identity looks and feels like here is different what friendship looks and feels like here is different what community looks and feels like here is different and so there was that like negotiation for a long time between me and my own culture and feeling like I didn't belong or fit in Mm -hmm. so then you but but the whole point of our human connection is that that's all we want is to belong so when you don't feel like you belong where you are you want to create a sense of belonging somewhere else so in my younger years I I created that in friendship groups and in 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 the UK I don't know what the the US setup is like but we have like youth clubs and play centers where children it's like the after school or the the weekend clubs where you'll go and it's either basketball or there's a social activities which young people just come together and I found that all of us in that space I was really tuned into how like all we were all lost mm-hmm. but we were kind of all lost together yeah so then we all started to belong in that lostness if that makes sense yes and then and then you try and then then what happens is I was very aware that then what happens is you start to feel safe there and then when that changes, though, because then college comes and things are different and then university comes, that you're still all figuring it out together, but in different community groups. So in the youth club, it was figuring it out there. And I think I was very tuned in quite young to the fact that I was self-aware about that and others weren't. So I, st- I think it was an inherent I think I always feel now more than anything, it's something that I've inherited from now that I know more about my family history I understand that actually it's very much the way in which my grandfather was. And it's a, and I, what I realised in that self-awareness was that I could help others become aware of it. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. why I became a youth worker. So that's why I ended up myself working with children and young people to create safe spaces of community and belonging where they then also could feel together with other young people. And I became that youth worker. I became that person who was like that, sort of, if you like, that translator of you know, this is, it's okay to be like in this space for now. And it's okay to feel safe here and not feel safe there. And it, yeah. yeah, And yeah, it was, it was probably a self-awareness that I had tuned in of what was really much more probably self-aware than I should have been. But I think that's also definitely what some sense of trauma does to us. At a young age, I was ripped from my home country, You know, and we lived in refugee camps for a little while. And then I think I definitely have this sense of having to have grown up very, very quickly, which probably made me more self-aware than my peers. And that self-awareness made me realise that other people weren't tuned in in the same way. And I just used it back to be able to help. And then I, I will be the first to admit it. There, there also comes with that an addiction mm. of realising that you have a powerful skill and a tool and then feeling like you have to always fulfill it when you are like it's because it's like becoming a musician and then feeling like if you don't regularly practice the violin you're sort of out of touch so you need to keep the practice and that is I've lot I've met lots of different women that call it different things whether it's healing or however you want to call it whatever you want to call it that you do become almost addicted to that process when you realize how powerful it is as you unlock things for people as you go along yeah it's it's beautiful. A, a lot of what you said, um, it reminds me of to the power of connection, right? Because 
you were able to, you mentioned identity a lot and how, yeah, I mean, for all of us, we go through these stages of trying to um, understand or create our own identity when we're, you know, in our younger years. But then even as we grow, we go through different cycles of identity, right? Like based on the phase of life and what's important to us and even the different groups and circles that we may be in. There's so much that contributes to how we see ourselves. But I love that way that you described, even though you all had different cultural backgrounds, you felt that sameness and feeling lost. And then in that, they created this um, safety. So it's, it's just amazing to think of um, how we're all kind of having our feelers out all the time for some sense of um, um, familiarity, mm-hmm. understanding, just wanting to be seen for whatever aspect of ourselves we feel like maybe no one else gets and how it does create this sense of um, uh, connection. But I wanted to ask you about as well, because you mentioned you started to get to know about your family history and ancestral healing comes up a lot. And a lot of people are curious about, you know, understanding their lineage. And I want to ask you what that did for you, like having some understanding of your heritage, your lineage, your family, did it help you in any way have maybe more understanding and compassion even for your parents and how they may have been as people and how they um, wanted to raise you yeah definitely I mean much much more so with my mother because it was when I found out about my mother's father my grandfather so my maternal grandfather that it was a really bizarre feeling hearing about who he was and what he was like much later on in life because my mother never spoke about him and he passed away when my mum was 14 but he was an exceptional man and I think what happened was when I started to hear about stories of the kind of person that he was and the things that he did so for example in the place where my mum grew up and where when he first got married it wasn't like common that girls would necessarily finish school but he insisted he was what my mum used to call a feminist before we even knew what feminism was right he absolutely would not have it and I remember growing up hearing about my identity as you know my background and my my ancestral sort of path being back in the Middle East right and feeling like that the identity of what that looks like from a Europe Europe European lens is there's what a single identity of what that what those in inverted commas what those people are like and then hearing these stories about my grandfather being very adamant that all of his girls must go to school and that all of his children must pass university before they even think about marriage those aren't the stories we hear about the middle east the stories that we hear about that girls are forced to get married young and that and so i just grew up assuming my identity was one that was fed to me through the media So when I started to hear about, I was like, but that contradicts what I've taught myself about what I think we are like as people in inverted Mm -hmm. commas. And yeah, it unlocked for me, but but I had self-imposed that. And I think we do that so often around all our identities, whether they're cultural, whether they're about gender, whether they're about our workplace identities and the mind of who we are in, in the workplace or career space. And the more I wondered, when that realization happened, I started to think then, what else have I self-assumed about my heritage as well? And it did two things for me. It made me realize that 
I had done that to myself firstly because I'd allowed that and that's fine and that was okay you know that's what we all do to some extent but I think it also helps me validate who I was in a way that I think we do yearn for because then when I realized that he was this very forward feminist thinker and the things that he did to support other women and girls in the community and the things that he did from a community perspective and how you know, he really tried to bring people together. He was the person that people would go to in the community when there was an issue and he would sort of mediate. And I thought about all the ways in which sometimes I had been criticised almost and people would use it against me to say, oh, well, you care too much or, but you're just, you're you're being too nice. You don't have to please everybody. Or, you know, those kind of things that people make you feel bad about yourself for. Yeah. And actually... Sometimes those things, yes, they do fit into these new realms and ways of talking about language that we understand that, yes, when we do things in certain ways to please others and we're not doing them for ourselves, that that can be harmful. But actually, sometimes also these things are in our blueprint and they're who we are. And it's who my granddad was. And that's not something I could have learned from him because I never met him. And we were never alive in the same time zone. But when I hear stories about who he was and what he gave to his community and what he did for other people and what he did for young women and girls, I'm I'm I stop and I'm remember feeling like, oh, so I'm not this thing. I'm just acting out parts of who I am that's in my identity. And there are, you know, there are many more stories I could go into. But I also, what I, I think it's important to say, because I've worked with a lot of different people that have have found out like, at different points in their lives that um, that they've been adopted or that their parents weren't their parents. And what I will say is that even if we're not aware, our identity can't escape us, the one we inherit. And it's about making a choice as adults to say, right, well, I might not ever have known who my grandfather was. But I need to have an awareness and an understanding that my behavior and the choices that I make, although they're a free will, there is a blueprint to some of our behaviors that we just have to have an awareness of. Yeah. Sometimes they're harmful. And we need to think about how we change them. And sometimes they're positive and we just need to embrace them. But actually, what re what for me, finding out about my heritage and finding out about ancestrally what's gone on. Um, for and for various other generations of women in my family as well as that that's a particular example with my grandfather is that we can't escape it and we just have to embrace it and that there will be things about our own behaviors that are challenging and we will wonder what where it came from and what we were exposed to for us to 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 be in that challenging situation or where this blessing comes from and I think it's just about being aware that some things in the ways in which we operate are very much part of our blueprint and right. just to lean into that space of what that means. No, absolutely. And it's interesting, like, as you're saying it, it's making me think of how important our perspective around it is as well, because I, I you know, I've had friends and I've known many people who maybe are like first or second generation, like here, even in the United States. And sometimes they're, you know, depending on what their story is, even fed by media, which is amazing that you highlight as well. Sometimes there's some shame about, you know, our backgrounds or where we come from, but that's one lens. Then you may have another person with a very similar story, but their take on it is recognizing the power and the endurance and the strength that it took for their family to, you know, 
move on and rebuild from nothing or whatever it is that they had to do. So yeah, it's amazing um, learning about these things, but also being really mindful of how we're seeing it, um, how it mm -hmm. translates for us. But I have to ask you because you and I, I could listen to your story all day, you know, I mean, oh, everything you. you shared so far, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I, I want to um, pivot into Oracle and Sage and make sure we get to talk about this because this beautiful um, collaboration that you have. Uh, could you talk a little bit about first telling us what Oracle and Sage is and mm -hmm. some background of what even inspired it? Absolutely. So Oracle and Sage is essentially a, a movement to try and democratize the well-being industry. The well-being industry is full of um, hope and promise but in a really ironic sense is very driven by how much money we can all make from it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the balance of that is what I was saying, referring to earlier is in that space though, you also have lots of really good practitioners in it for the right reason that end up being exploited because they give their gifts for free. Mm -hmm. And so Oracle and Sage is kind of a hope that we do something about that. And, and, the, and actually the hope is now in action. So we have, I'll, I'll split it down to the oracles and the sage part. The sages are well-being products. We have a line of well-being products that are manufactured in the UK. They are organically made products. We were working with a manufacturer for about 18 months before we launched. We have candles and um, essential oils and various well-being soaps, various well-being products that you would find on any good store or good um, Etsy store or, you know, a good online yeah. shop. And all our profits are taken aside. We're non-profit, um, but we run as a limited company because we want the power in the decision-making process. Because in the UK, non-profits are governed by the charity sector. Oh. And what we say is we don't want anybody else deciding that we're based on trust. So if people purchase with us, they trust that we will do the right things with the profits. Right. And the profits go to running the business, which at this point, the costs are very, very low. Um, and then the uh, the final percentage of the profits go to the oracles. And oracles are, so our sage is our wellbeing product line. And oracles are just wise women. And they are women that we've handpicked, that we work with, that have been either recommended to us or we've worked with them in different spaces. And what we say as oracle and sages, their healing modality that they choose we don't prescribe to it's the person who needs the healing that has to buy into that healing modality it's not up to us mm -hmm. and we work with a range of women so our oracles are everything from physio uh, psychotherapists acupuncturists um reiki and energy work massage massage um masseuse who also do massage work with women um around the lymph system and the like physical massage work and our profits and our subscription service essentially pay oracles to be able to provide healing to women for free. So because we've only just launched, we're just into our first year, we started on a word of mouth model and social media. So through our Instagram, we might have spaces that come open where we say, right, we have a space for a therapy session once a month for the next six weeks. Is there a member that would like to take that spot? We work on trust, so we don't ask women to explain why they need the healing. We don't feel like it's our position. We feel like one of the problems with the sector is that people almost like dramatize 
feel like they have to dramatize their trauma to be able to receive or be in the need for that for that healing so we essentially have a product line and a member subscription service that's a bit i forgot to mention so we have people donate one pound 11 a week or one pound 11 a month and we have a few supporters that provide more per month up to 100 pounds a month and that's part of our business model 97 percent of that goes directly to oracles we that doesn't go into the business at all because one of the things we wanted to address is that people also do want to give money sometimes Mm-hmm. And they want it to go directly to healing or they want it to go directly to the individual. And we thought, well, we could do that if we had a product line who, that sustained and maintained the business. Then if people give, because they're not giving to us, they give to us. And then an oracle might say, so hypothetically, for an example, if you had a sister in the UK, and actually we have oracles in Barbados and Jamaica as well. So if there was a a sister or a cousin that you had in any of these three countries at this point, we're hoping to expand, and they had suffered a miscarriage or maybe they've just had a difficult time because they just lost their job. And what they really need is some therapeutic guidance, a a counsellor to work through some stuff, but they can't afford it. If if you were a member at £1.11 a week or a month, you could see one of our slots that come open and say, actually, I have a cousin or I have a sister. I'd like to put her forward to be able to receive that spot. And then the contract is between the individual and the oracle, because that's how it should be, between the therapist of whatever type and the individual receiving the therapy. The therapy. And this is why we only handpick our oracles and we only work with specific oracles, because that oracle then invoices us and we pay them. Yeah. So we have we don't ask the individ- the female to come back and say, oh, how do you feel now? Have you been healed after six weeks? Because we don't believe it works like that. We believe that our oracles will hold your hand for a short period of time, but we don't need you to come back and spill your journey or your non-journey because sometimes the truth is with healing is that you go back a few steps. Right. And this is the thing that we can't measure with healing. And sometimes it isn't just the therapeutic session. It's the therapy plus massage or it's the energy work plus acupuncture it's the physical plus the emotional it's and because we don't prescribe that we very much work in a space where we say right it's up to the woman to choose and we very much don't believe in things happening by accident so we've we've helped up to december last year we helped up to 22 women receive individual treatments of various different healing modalities um and we're now moving into a space to do some group work session and some listening circles with various oracles that we have um but that's essentially our model and how it came about was because of what I was telling you earlier about my understanding that there was this big gap around women's healing and what that looked like and how we're very polarized around it's either the clinical therapeutic side or it's this side mm-hmm. and actually I my experience after my second child was that I needed both I needed the massage and the energy work but I also really actually needed some therapy because I was having you know second baby um was feeling very I, I don't like the word depressed but I understand why we use it but I was just I was feeling sad yeah. and I was melancholy and I and I wasn't myself and I wanted to talk but that with the massage and the energy work that I was having is what supported me And that triggered for me also the fact that what I did before I went and got the professional help was I was leaning on friends and family. And when they couldn't respond in a way that I needed them to, I resented them. And then I realized that I was wrong because that's not how they see our friendship. That's how I saw the friendship. 
and they were right not to if that's what they wanted does that make sense yeah it it was okay for them to not want to hold me in that way and I because actually what I needed was a professional not my friend to just sit and talk to me for two hours and take me for ice cream you need that too don't get me wrong you know um one first of all that is such an amazing and beautiful model and um I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing it that way um I'm sure it will inspire a lot of people listening that really is a, a beautiful model but I love that there's also the giving people the option and so I wanted to ask you that as well so if someone came in and they wanted to partake in the services say they were doing like a six-week um program they could choose select which ones they wanted to do instead of like okay I'm doing um therapy does that have to be the entire six weeks or I could do therapy then the next week do energy healing then the next week do massage and then you know at this point everything has been completely individualistic so we haven't so and the reason why for example some therapists won't do less than six sessions Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been clear about that so we've right. leaned on the oracles too so right. if, you're, if, right. if a therapist says to me look one session's not going to do anything and one session could be harmful because it's pandora's box you right. open up a can of worms and then nothing's holding them afterwards yeah. so we have oracles so we had an oracle recently a therapist say i can't do more than six sessions it's not about the money it's the safety of my clients i don't take on other clients four is the very minimum yeah. but six is good <laughs> and so we've had to listen to that so what we've done is, and and at this point, we haven't had anybody complete a full, because some people can only do one session every month right. or like, right. uh, you know, because that's their capacity because they're the ones that tell us. Yeah. What we have done, and this is why we've started so small and so organically, is we're, we're almost testing out what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've introduced the group circles, because actually we're mm-hmm. finding that women want to build away from just the one session actually and what they want is a rec they want something regular yeah that's so we've got interesting you say i always tell um because i work with a lot of reiki practitioners and i always tell them like a big part of it is educating people and helping them understand that it's you know with these this type of work like one session is almost like a band-aid of sorts but helping yeah. people understand like why the process would be ongoing because of what on layers and then the support that you know the space that we're able to hold as time goes on like even example on my website you can only at a minimum get reiki sessions as a four package a package of four and that's the exact reason why um but that's that's beautiful i love um the way that that you're integrating the traditional with the non-traditional methods but seeing the beauty of both And it's funny hearing you say, even in your own story, I remember years ago, I interviewed a woman who is a therapist, but she got into energy work because she realized the need for both sides. And she really wanted to, you know, provide that support for her um, clients. This is one just random thing, but I have to ask you to clarify. Our money is different. You kept saying one pound 11. And I'm like, is that a dollar and 11 cents? Like, what is that? Basically, Okay. basically it would be the equivalent of a dollar not to the exact equivalent but yeah. it would be a dollar and the reason why we did that is because we're very keen to make sure so my business partner Veronica who who is the other co-founder she's mm-hmm. actually based in Barbados okay. so she's of Dutch and Peruvian heritage but grew up in the States so that's where she learned her practices all in the States in Washington DC to be exact 
but she's based in Barbados. Her and her husband live there. He's of Bayesian heritage and Italian heritage. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure was that everybody could afford it. So if you, because what we don't believe in is, so for you to receive healing, you, you have to be a member or you have to be recommended by a member. And the reason why we say that is because we want everyone to, there's, there's an energy to currency, right? And we want everyone to feed into that one way or another. And we don't believe in just giving the exchange of, I will give you this and then you just receive. We feel like it should be reciprocal. So I give you, we give you that energy session. You pay the £1.11. That £1.11 goes to the next woman, right? Yeah. Et cetera. So we wanted to create a circle so that it was a continuum so that we could work in that energy way. And £1.11 felt nice because, you know, lots of people are into numbers. I, I mean, yeah. I'm into... I believe that if you believe in it and it works for you and it helps you and it doesn't harm people, then go for it. So some people yeah. buy into the numerology of it. And we thought that 111 was just a nice number because if you're in Barbados and you want to receive healing from one of our oracles in Barbados. And I was on a retreat in Jamaica and I met the most exceptional, amazing oracle that we work with called Empress. And she's based in Jamaica. And in, well, at some point soon, we're going to be opening up. So there are women in Jamaica where she's based at Treasure Beach, hopefully we'll be able to, she will be able to give them healing based on funds that we've raised here. But again, those women need to be members and that's £1.11 and that's affordable a month right? anywhere in the world. And it was, for us, it was about accessibility because I really believe the big money will come. It will follow. Like we've had, like I said, you know, a friend's husband once was like, can't I just give you like £100 a month? And I was like, well, of course you can sign up. <laughs> And so we've had a few people that have been like, can I not just give you a couple of hundred pounds in the account? Like, where can I send it? And I'm like, here's the PayPal. And so we've had people just drop 500 pounds into the account or say that they want to. And that money, 97%. And the reason why I say 97% is because the 3% goes to the processing of the card fees, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the money that's gone directly to Oracle's to be able to perform whatever the healing modality that's chosen between them and the. And at this point, it's all been very organic. And we now have a storefront in London um, that's mainly for like the, the well-being. It's all for the well-being products. And we have a space in the back for some energy work and some different types of um, we do readings as well. Sometimes I've had people just walk in and say I had a woman recently just walk in. I was in the shop one Saturday waiting for people to come and buy candles and somebody walked in because our door says a healing collective. She sat down and she sort of slumped on the chair and she was like, I need healing. And I sat down next to her and I was like, are you okay? And she was like, no. She's like, I need to talk to someone. And I said to her, look, I'm not the person to talk to. I'm not a therapist, but let me see what I can do. And we can see how we can help you. And then actually, she was a much older lady and and I was trying to explain to her about the membership and stuff. And she was like, could you talk to my daughter? And I was like, absolutely. And then I spoke to her daughter on the phone and we've got her signed up. And, you know, and this woman just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And she saw our sign on the door. But I, I mean, I... In, reality she probably didn't come out of nowhere she somebody okay. something called her into that space and she sat with us and we managed to help her yeah um and that, so there's been like the most bizarre things that have happened that mm -hmm. are really really interesting and it's been like oh we, we were we were in the right place and we had the right oracle and I spoke to the daughter and we had her signed up as the daughter signed up as a member you know and we did it all and then she she got what she needed yeah. and but what we haven't done is come back to her and said, oh, could you 
write a little bit about what you thought or because we don't we don't want to buy into that because we're like well you know there's a circular space in which we're moving here and if women have come to me and said please I really want to and that's fine I'll take it but I'm not asking you yeah no that is so beautiful and it's um really interesting I'm just thinking of the accessibility like you said and how it is so beautiful that you know with people donating and supporting in so many ways that it allows um, room for people to have access to different healing modalities, no matter what they are, where perhaps that wouldn't be affordable or accessible to them otherwise. So it's, it's, it's really an amazing kind of um, uh, design of your, of your business that you've done. It made me think of, I remember years ago when I first started the podcast, um, you know, it was just the podcast. That's all it was. And at some point I started doing online classes and part of it was just to sustain the business. So I was like, you know, if I do online work, then I can continue to pay for the podcast and I can, you know, do all these things. Yep. And plus in the background, I do free sessions for people all the time. I'm not going to, you know, but I remember someone emailed me one time and she was so angry. Like, how dare I charge for classes? And I'm like, lady, it pays for the free podcast you're listening to. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. So, yeah, but it, it just, you were just making me think of like, how beautiful it is like the various ways that we can um come into reception of yeah. the funding that allows us to do the work yeah. and but again your design of it is just absolutely beautiful so you've mentioned so the people come and it's all in person um but you did mention that you may extend out into doing um group work and you know talk circles yeah. and that type of thing are you all planning to do anything virtual where people can come from all over the place? Or do we have to be in? Absolutely. Okay. Oh no, that would be the dream. And like that, that definitely, um, there are so many beautiful ideas that are seeding and being planted by some of this work that we're doing. So an example is um, we have a, a, a phenomenal Oracle that's based in the UK and she does these amazing women's circles around aromatherapy. Her name is Laurence. She's a wonderful Oracle um, that works with us. And we've co-produced a session where she will have um, for Mother's Day, a healing the mother's wound, six women all day aromatherapy. And she will hold that space. And that's a seed that came out of us understanding, well, firstly, it was this one-to-one process of Oracle, person in need, that exchange, et cetera. And then now we've moved into this space of like, actually, we could do more Oracle, six women, circular space in person. And already the seeds have been planted around, okay, so how do we do more with that one person if that is what that person does. Because with Laurence, that's what she does. So we didn't impose that on her. She naturally does and is phenomenal at holding these spaces and these circles for women and holding the healing in that space and being really transformative. And if there were other therapists or other people out there that could hold space in a way, whether that be virtual and we can reach more women, like, yes, I mean, I, I'm very much believer in like this is started in this one way and if we can reach more and support more then why are we limiting ourselves at the moment it's about capacity of like when and how we keep sort of going out but yeah I mean yeah. also for me my one of the dreams for me is that we we go a little I mean we're, we're in London 
um, and, and parts of the UK. And we, we have um, Veronica, who's based in Barbados. So we have women in Barbados um, able to receive. The next step will be to get Empress set up so that there's women in Jamaica. But the US, like, absolutely, there is um, scope for us to, that's where we want to be. We want to be spreading it. And in a space where, you know, as women, as we grow and as we grow, the subscriptions grow and as they grow, you know, the oracles grow and as the oracles grow, the reach, because that's how the energy I, I feel will work with this. And that's why we want the circular motion. But yeah, yeah. no, definitely. That is beautiful. Now, I do want to just highlight for a second this Mother's Day collaboration, um, Healing the Mother's Wound, um, mainly because there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast that are actually there with you in the UK. And so if they were interested in this, I don't know if our Mother's Day falls on the same time as here in the United States. Um, do you know the date for this event? Or Yes, it's the, it's the 19th of March, I think, if I'm right. If I've got March that right, 19th. I think it's the nineteenth. I think it's the nineteenth of March. It's Mother's Day in March, anyway. And okay. I think if I'm right, we have one space. So all for that, all anybody has to do is either is follow us on Instagram, which is at Oracle and Sage, mm -hmm. be a member or be nominated by a member. So we, okay. it's not, and and it's not like we're telling people to sign up for the year. Like I, I'm not gonna hold people to it. You sign up for the month or two. You enjoyed the session. You don't want to be a part of the circle anymore. We want people in this who want to be in this. But if you just want to be a contributor, because I'm sure, you know, a lot of people listening, um, even myself, I'm like, this is amazing. and would love to pour into the, um, the opportunity of people receiving healing, right? Uh, so the two ways that you can contribute, you can either, well, three, you can either make a donation. You could also be a member, but not necessarily get the services, right? That's or correct. you can buy the products. You can... Um, even purchase the products online okay and do you ship yeah. internationally we will be we're, okay. we're just yeah we definitely will be um we're just because we're still teasing out the market of like because our candles are heavy and we're still we're very new in the business sense of like the that commercial side of it so we've still got to okay. figure out exactly like how much the shipping costs whether we put you know what this is all the businessy techie stuff that I'm trying to iron out but we, we will be we will get there and we will figure it out but definitely oh but, I understand the difficulty I did a oracle deck and trying to ship it to places like the UK it was like a nightmare trying to figure out the logistics and um what is it that you all have to pay like duties when it, I was like wait yes. how do they not have to do that like, yeah <laughs> no, so it is I a mean, bit to figure out it's in our ambition for sure it's, it's yes. there in it's there in the vision somewhere but it will yeah I mean hopefully fingers crossed well, I have to tell you, Gino, I'm so thankful that we had this conversation because I'm, I'm sure not just the business and the way that you all have structured it, but also just your personal story is just Thank so you. inspiring and it was beautiful. And this is why I love being able to have these conversations. So I want to make sure that everyone knows how to connect with you, um, where to find you online, even social media. What's the best way? Yep. So the best way is um, at this point, um, you can on the website, which is www.oracleandsage.org, there is a feedback or like a contact us form. And those emails come through to me and Veronica at this point. So um, that's uh, or you can email us directly at admin at oracleandsage.org. Um, or you can follow us on socials and send us a direct message and we can we definitely have enough capacity at this point 
to respond and 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 we as we have been so yeah pe- please follow us and and send a message or yeah and as you said there is a paypal donation button on the actual website as well or there's the sign up subscription um and yeah that's that's the best way yeah and then for all of the lovely listeners that are there um in london that's where the shop is right in london yeah so we're in a we're on a on a street called portobello road which um for most people they know it because it's in the film notting hill so i don't know if you know the film notting hill or if you haven't seen it i think it's it's like a famous julia roberts film that she did and literally we're at the bottom end of notting hill from and actually i think the street where it's where the film is filmed on we are 281 portobello road Okay, I have no idea about the movie, but I did go to London by myself once when in my 30s and my hotel where I stayed was, I was literally a block away from the British Museum, but almost oh, every day I would walk to Trafalgar Square. And yeah, so if anything from those two points, that's the only thing I'm really familiar with. So you would have been in like more central, central London, which is okay. beautiful and it's really nice. We're probably more in a localized area called West okay. London, which is, um, and Portobello is like really cool and sort of trendy. It has the market, the main market that runs through it that's been around for over a hundred years. Wow. Um, and it's a really diverse part of London as well. It's a lot of rich cultural history. Yeah. And and just yeah. to add, it's one of the reasons that I was so passionate. I know a lot of oracles, women like myself, like Laurence, like Veronica, so many women are in this space. And yet it's propagated by a lot of Eurocentricism. And actually a lot of this work is really being connected to other spaces in which we come from. And I noticed that what success started to look like for some women was the appropriation of indigenous wisdom without fully being connected to the history or the storytelling of what that indigenous wisdom meant. Like it's very popular here in the UK to burn Palo Santo, for example, which is a Peruvian. But people had, they didn't understand what they were doing. And there's a difference between using that to sage, right? And there's a difference between the process that there is a tradition and a history that's connected to that. And one of the things about Oracle and Sage is that what we try to do is encourage and support women in their, in their story of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Because even in the UK, there are a lot of wonderful stories around white British women and their heritage of the countryside and healing through herbs and plants right. that has been lost and burnt because it's a woman's history. So it's never been retold. Yes. Um, so, yeah, but one of our missions is around that diversity is really about aligning and understanding where these traditions come from and the storytelling of them so that they're not appropriated. There's a difference between appreciating and embracing cultural heritage and tradition because you align with it and there are similarities. But if you haven't understood the story of what that means, you're doing a disservice to that tradition and we're trying to realign that and kind of say, like, no, that's not okay, essentially. Well, it's, a, it's funny because what you're saying, it reminds me like going back to even your own personal story. And I think now because of the ways that we're able to connect, there, there's kind of like a, it's like a, 
it has two sides to it, right? Because on one side, because of social media and the ability to just share all kinds of everything, there's a lot of um, misinformation out there and a lot of, I, I don't know. But then on the other side of the fence, we also have more of an ability to connect and learn from each other and actually like reach out and um, learn from people who are, um, just of certain lineages even, you know, to get to be informed and to learn from and so on and so on. So it's, it's amazing that we live in this time where again, like those boundaries are, yeah. you know, uh, softening to where we can, there's more of a cultural exchange even that wasn't really available uh, a long time ago. But you also remind me of this and I just have to mention it because of what you said, a lot of people who um, practice Reiki we tend to get um, the same story of the history again and again in the classes. But there are these two women that actually did a lot of research and found out about the women in Reiki. And historically speaking, like in the inception of the technique, these women that were very much a part of it all and how they were the ones that were able to sustain the practice while the men had to go off to war and all of these other mm -hmm. things. So it was like, it's an amazing book. It's called Women in Reiki. And it, it really um, highlight, yeah, because that's a part of the story you would never hear of prior that's to right. them, yeah, bringing that to light. But I have Beautiful. to tell you, Gino, it was absolutely amazing getting to connect Thank with you. you, hearing your story. I couldn't have even imagined the beauty of it all. And I just want to remind everyone again, it's down in the show description, but you can go to oracleandsage.org or also follow them on social at Oracle and Sage. And if you are in London, don't forget about the healing mother's womb, but also check out upcoming events that you all may have. Absolutely. And hopefully this is the start of further conversations to see what we could do together. Yes, absolutely, my love. We'll have to stay in touch. And for everyone for else, sure. thank you so much for joining us today. Bye for now. Okay, beautiful alchemist. First of all, I want to say a very warm thank you again to Gino, Gino Parker, for coming in, sharing her story with us today, and for sharing about the beautiful healing collective Oracle and Sage. Don't forget, you can learn more about her work, or even if you want to contribute to the collective, go to oracleandsage.org or follow them on social media under Oracle and Sage. And while you are here with me now, just want to give you that reminder again, you can join me for live conversation. Come to the Reiki Roundtable. Let's talk about the episodes. Let's talk about your own path, what's going on for you. You can download the Energetic Alchemist app through the Apple App Store or on Google Play, and you will see to join the Reiki Radio Roundtables. You'll also have access to some other tools that support you in your own energetic alchemy. You can also do drop-in classes for the Alchemy Circle. There's so much you can access on the app. So I look forward to seeing you, working with you. Learn more about my work at theenergeticalchemist.com. Have a gorgeous day and remember to always journey in love. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.